Ishanuel, India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, let's take another look at the markets this morning. Uh, the SX200 in Australia is down 0.1%. Nikkei 225 slipping further into negative territory. It's off 1.6%. The Cosby uh, is flat right now. And then futures markets pointing to um, a gain of about 70 or 80 points or so for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Do please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for Back Chats coming up after the news with Danny Gittings and Mike Rouse this morning. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, a few showers, maximum temperature about 24 degrees, one or two showers and sunny intervals in the next couple of days and then it will become fine early to midweek next week. The temperature right now is 22 degrees, 90% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.31, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. The Hong Kong Rugby Union says it sold 26,000 out of a maximum 34,000 tickets for the Rugby Sevens tournament, which kicks off tonight after a three-year absence. The union's chair, Chris Brooks, said there'd been an uptake in sales after the government announced that food and drink could be consumed at the Sevens, although mask wearing, social distancing and rapid Covid tests for entry would be enforced. He described the restrictions as not ideal. Clearly it's not ideal. I mean, we'd love to have no restrictions, but I think, yeah, we respect the, the government policy at the moment and we've obviously had to put on what we think is the best event within the constraints. So uh, I don't think it'll affect the atmosphere. I think the rugby will still be very good. We've got entertainment. As we said, we've got the F&B opportunity as well. I think it's all the ingredients of a normal sevens weekend will be there. It'll just be uh, slightly unusual with some of the restrictions. Hong Kong Monetary Authority Chief Executive Eddie Yu says the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit was so successful that another one is being planned for next year. The three-day event, which ended yesterday, aimed to showcase Hong Kong as an international financial centre as it emerges from the COVID pandemic. The authority said over 200 international and regional business leaders from around 120 institutions had taken part. The former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, is in a stable condition in hospital in Lahore after being shot in the lower leg at an anti-government rally calling for early elections. His party and the country's president have called it an assassination attempt. One person died in the attack and several were wounded. In a video circulating online, the alleged gunman is heard confessing that he tried to kill Mr Khan. A former government minister, Ali Haider Zaidi, witnessed the attack. There was about 15... 20-odd meters away when we heard the firing shots. There was a shooter on the left side of the container. He opened fire with an automatic weapon, but the gun's barrel was pointed down. Imran Khan has been shot in the leg. The German government has urged its citizens to leave Iran because of the violent suppression of protests there. The foreign ministry in Berlin warned of the risk of arbitrary arrest, interrogation and long prison sentences. Annalena Bayerbock is the German foreign minister. For weeks, we've seen the brutal violence the Iranian regime is using against its own citizens, people dying because of it. As foreign minister, I stand with the people of Iran. On the other hand, I also have a duty of care for all those in Iran who have German citizenship. That is why we're taking this step. Finally, Western officials say Russia has already withdrawn most of its commanding officers from the occupied southern city of Kherson as Ukrainian forces advance. They say many civilians, including pro-Russian political figures, have been evacuated across the Dnipro River. Banks have been reportedly emptied and museums looted. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning. Welcome back, Mike. Yeah, good morning again, Danny. And don't panic, listeners. It isn't Monday. It's Friday. In our main topic this Friday, we'll be looking at the problem of tree safety in Hong Kong following a spate of tree collapses over the past week. Particular concern is focusing on the accident that killed a villager in Taipo last Friday after a government contractor delayed removing a tree which had been identified at high, as at high risk. And the accidents continued throughout this week with a 14-metre-tall Chinese banyan toppling over in Mong Kok on Tuesday, followed by a further 11 tree collapses during the typhoon. So why do these tree accidents keep happening? We'll talk to, be talking to experts who say they show the government has been planting trees in the wrong way. And we'll be asking what more can be done to prevent future accidents. And after nine o'clock, we're going to be looking at the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens, which returned today after three years of COVID-induced suspensions. But will it be the same with everyone wearing masks and just a fraction of the normal number of overseas visitors? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call, 233-88266. Joining us for the first segment of our discussion on uh, tree safety, we have uh, Ken So, who's the Chief Executive of the Conservancy Association, and we also have uh, Professor Jim Chi Young, who's a Research Chair, Professor of Geography and Environmental Science at the uh, Education University of Hong Kong. Uh, good morning. Uh, Professor Jim, let's perhaps uh, go to you first. Um, uh, good morning. You, you use quite, some quite strong language about this, um, this accident in uh, Taipo last Friday, um, where some where poor villager was actually killed. I think you, you said it was basically an exemplar of um, how the government has been mismanaging um, t- t- the tree issue in Hong Kong and that the fundamental issue is that they haven't been planting trees in the right way. C- can you explain a bit further? Well, if you look at the Mong Kok case, it, it was a tree that, uh, uh, that was um, performing pretty well in an area that was not sealed with concrete and, uh, and asphalt. But then subsequently, uh, with development of roads and so on, um, the location was uh, covered with impermeable concrete and asphalt, and then the ground level was lowered. And all these means that a lot of the original roots uh, were taken away. The roots were cut quite near the base of the trunk. And then they built a very tiny planter around the base of the tree, and that is very detrimental to tree growth because the tree would have lost about uh, 80 to 90 percent of its roots, especially the so-called bigger uh, structural roots that is responsible uh, responsible for anchoring the, the huge tree. And because of this, uh, the tree would not be able to. Uh, uh, uphold its own weight, and especially uh, in strong wind, it will not be able to stand firm. Professor Jim, good so, morning. I, I've, this is not the first time I've heard that specific problem with respect to trees. That is that people not allowing for the root system, e- even if they got it right initially, coming along later and doing something detrimental to its growth. How can this possibly be happening again? Now, in this uh, Mong Kok case, it's not just a, a provision of inadequate soil for tree growth. It, it is the removal of soil and root that were, that were originally there. So you're talking yes. about two different animals. 
right? In in other cases, you have a tiny tree pit, and then you plant the tree in in that uh, tiny soil volume. But then in the Mong Kok case, uh, the tree originally uh, grows in a very nice environment, and then they trap it in a tiny planter and removing a large volume of the uh, original roots. So the, right. uh, this kind of mistreatment, I'm sorry to say, is extremely common. But it is more surprising if, it, if you talk about an old and valuable tree which has been designated as very precious and put into a government tree register, meaning that it should be given special protection and special care. Right. Unfortunately, we don't see that kind of actions. But the engineers who were designing the roads or highways, which did put the concrete there later, they they must have referred to the register. Uh, I'm sorry to say that the register register wouldn't mean much uh, to uh, I mean to the care of the tree. If they were to uh, remodel the surface, then they would uh, probably they would not consider the tree registry as an important consideration. They they would think that the more important uh, the more important issues are the uh, flat and firm surface that they can support weight and and rather than the sort of win-win situation and allowing pedestrians to move uh, freely and safely as well as providing the conditions for root growth. And they, they will not consider the latter uh, sort of uh, issue. Uh, let's bring in now uh, Ken So, Ken So, Chief Executive of the Conservancy Association. Uh, good morning, Mr So. Morning. Uh, well, talking first of all about the uh, Moncock case, perhaps we'll get to mm. the uh, typo case a bit later. Um, w- w- what are your concerns about the collapse of the tree? This was a tree that collapsed uh, near Moncock uh, East Railway Station on Tuesday. It didn't, it didn't kill anyone, um, or thank God, um, but it's still causing great, great concern. Yeah. Um, w- w- what, what, what do you think about that particular incident? Yes, I, I agree that there are several different issues uh, and you need uh, for each uh, three cases. For the um, uh, Mong East Station one, actually, is over. It's a really old tree, uh, been there uh, many years uh, because that area should be a Mong uh, very old village. So, uh, the tree is surrounded by uh, farming fields. So, I agree with uh, Professor Jim that for this case, it's not talking about the uh, area suitable for the planting of the tree, but is the protection and conservation of such an old tree during the uh, urban development. And uh, to be honest, this uh, old and valuable tree with the uh, registered number that is uh, YTM Yaochim 105, and actually there are two others just right next to it that is. Uh, 1TM104 and 1TM103 also um, are being removed uh, before. And uh, the major reason eventually that's because of a uh, fungal attack, that is the brown food rot. But again, going back, why this three tree eventually got such a serious decay? That's because um, the, the changing of the, deva- the uh, of the environment during the development and the damage caused by, say, a root cutting during the development and eventually killing these uh, three trees. So I uh, pretty agree that 
uh, in the past, maybe the um, awareness on the impact of development to those uh, existing trees is uh, not really high. But now I think with uh, so many uh, examples, uh, we really need to be very careful uh, when trees are there and there is work, uh, how we can balance the, uh, the work and the uh, protection of the tree, particularly the roots, are uh, really important. Right. Do you think the other government departments are now more aware of the need to be careful when they're going around old established trees? Uh, well, I'm a bit uh, uh, restorative to it. For old and valuable tree, maybe. Uh, I, I think that, yes, for old and valuable trees, uh, there may not be very uh, big difference in terms of overall uh, maintenance, but for uh, this kind of work, they really need to apply for it and got endorsement uh, and a little bit difficult when they would like to carry out the work around the tree. But it's talking about um, the, damage, the damages have been done before, uh, maybe many years, so that uh, the, after the damage has been done and then the decay develops and eventually uh, become a quite serious uh, situation like uh, the tree uh, failed. So um, I think there's two things. One thing is, of course, we, we need to stop this kind of damage to not just all available trees, but all kinds of, uh, say, roadside trees. And the other thing is uh, maybe the inspection of this kind of trees, we suspect that the wood system may have uh, been damaged before then uh, some sort of uh, further inspection is needed. How often are trees um, inspected by government officials? Uh, for all available tree, at least, it's talking about two times uh, per year, and it should be have a quick inspection after each time boom. And uh, the inspection is a little bit different from uh, others because may maybe you know that there are two uh, inspection uh, systems that is so-called Form 1, a group tree inspection, and the Form 2, uh, that is individual tree uh, inspection, for all available tree, individual tree uh, with uh, inspection have to be done uh, twice a year. So uh, that's the regular uh, inspection for all available tree. But I uh, have to be very um, cautious about that. The inspection is talking about mainly the risk of the tree. So that means maybe the health issue, maybe the uh, uh, root condition that's out of the scope of a, a basic visual tree inspection may not be included. So uh, that's why uh, why the tree with such serious root system uh, damage or, or defects that uh, might not be uh, uh, being right. found during the inspection. So this is only, only for immediate safety, these checks, not for general health of the tree? Uh, yes, yes, because the scope of the inspection is mainly on tree risk assessment. So if you... Uh, have a chance to, to have a look of the inspection form. It's really risk-oriented. Uh, so uh, uh, if you are talking about health check or inspection or enhancement, actually that's quite a different exercise. 
but now it's uh, really lack of uh, this kind of exercise, even for those so invaluable trees. We're talking about tree safety in Hong Kong following a uh, spate of tree collapses over the uh, past week. You just heard uh, Ken So, the chief executive of the Conservancy Association, also with us, uh, Professor Jim uh, Chiung from the Education University of Hong Kong. Later after nine o'clock, we're going to be talking about the return of the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens. If you have any thoughts on either topic, do um, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Um, um, Professor, Professor Jim, so so far, we've been talking about this case in uh, Mongkok on Tuesday, the uh, collapse of the tree near Mongkok East Railway Station, where for- for- fortunately nobody was killed. Um, maybe now we should also focus on that, that tragedy last Friday, where a uh, tree that uh, had already been identified as a risk of collapse back in August, um, um, part, part of it collapsed, um, actually killing a villager in the, um, I think it's Ntung Chai uh, village uh, near, near Taipo. Now, obviously, uh, one aspect of that, to which the government has already been following up on saying the contractors who they um, who were supposed to have done something are, are clearly at fault in not in not having acted and there's likely to be a follow-up sh- action there uh, but professor jim I, I think you also think that the the typo tragedy uh, again uh, reveals um, issues about our whole tree management system in hong kong right in, in the case of the typo tree, it, it really is a tragedy that can be avoided because um, the tree is already dead and it has been diagnosed as high risk. And the strange thing is that uh, they did not remove the tree promptly. But then I can understand if they need a little time to prepare for the removal. But then at least in the interim, they should uh, cordon off the area to prevent people from getting into the high risk area. If you have high-risk tree, then you have a high-risk zone around the tree, and that zone must right. be cordoned off. People must be prevented from entering that area so that they will not be, get hurt. But unfortunately, they did not do that, and and that, I think, is quite inexplicable. Professor, I mean, in, in, uh, once again, some of the media reports suggested that because of the delay in the government contractor uh, t- removing the tree, that... The villagers were acting themselves to try to render it safe. Is that your understanding too? Well, my understanding is that the villagers couldn't wait. They, right. Because they, right below the tree, there, there, there is a, some kind of little altar where the uh, villagers will worship the, uh, the, the deity. And, and as a result, uh, it becomes very dangerous. I think... Uh, uh, when we talk about tree risk, we are talking about two different aspects. One is that the tree may collapse or may drop large branches. The other aspect of the risk is that people may get near them and then get hurt as a result of right. tree failure. So we, we must do something to prevent that uh, people-tree interaction or interface. And, yeah. and as a result of the, this negligence, uh, we, we have uh, created a a very hazardous situation eventually leading to a tragedy. You've raised a good point there. I mean, there must be many, many other shrines in Hong Kong built under tree. I don't know if there's any, I don't know if there's any way of calculating, but it's a very logical place to put a shrine for worshipping your ancestors under a tree. Um, so presumably there's a danger that similar accidents are waiting to happen elsewhere in Hong Kong, Professor Jim. Yes, that's very true. But, but then in this case, it's so obvious. It's just a dead tree. A dead tree is extremely dangerous. A dead tree cannot stand for too long. And th- 
first of all, it must be removed at the earliest opportunity. And, and yet uh, the contractor waited and waited until uh, it, it collapses. So mm. it's very, very unfortunate, I would say. Yes. The Street Sleepers Shelter Society, uh, which I'm involved with, uh, we had a dangerous tree near one of our shelters in Wan Chai, and mm. we really had to chase the government department concerned to to get action taken by the contractor. Um, mm -hmm. Are those contractor arrangements, do you think they're satisfactory? I don't think so. Well, when you have a highly uh, hazardous tree, you, you just cannot wait for the contractors to take action. You must have a very clear deadline given to the contractor. And if nothing is done, then an alternative arrangement must be done very quickly. You, you cannot afford to wait. Right. Yeah. An immediate action to warn people nearby that the oh, tree yes, is dangerous. Uh, and, and cordoning is very, very necessary. That's a separate issue. Is that necessarily the responsibility of the uh, of the contractor, or should should it be the, the the government that acted to cordon off and put up warning notices? I mean, uh, does a contra I, contractor have well, um, a remit to do that? If the government has entrusted a contractor to do the tree uh, risk assessment and tree removal work, then why not also entrusting it to the contractor to do the cordon off? Okay, a comment from a uh, listener. If you've got any comments on either our tree safety in Hong Kong or the return of the rugby sevens, which we're going to be talking about about nine o'clock, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. rthk.hk. Uh, that's backchat at rthk.hk. Hugh says, I'd feel more secure if we knew that this governmental body had experts to assess tree safety before incidents happen. Maybe experts like those who are on our show. Uh, let, let, let's, let's go to uh, Kenso now, Kenso, Chief Executive of the Conservancy Association on, on the tragedy in Taipo. Uh, Kenso, what, what are your thoughts on that particular incident? Yeah, for the Taipo uh, incident, I, I'm not really think that it's talking about the uh, quality of the inspection. Uh, it's quite different from, say, the uh, earlier uh, hormonting issue because the defect cannot be uh, well detected, something like that. But uh, yes, as uh, you mentioned, that it's totally talking about the uh, con contractual as well as the sensitivity and the awareness of uh, risk management. Uh, because even though you, you're talking about uh, it's a contractual work, but the people who conducting uh, the inspection uh, is a professional uh, because now there's requirement for the government on the uh, tree risk assessor and that means all these tree risk assessors should uh, conduct a certain kind of uh, tree risk assessment uh, training and every of these trained personnel uh, have known that even though that's out of your contractual requirement, uh, you actually find a tree with high risk, you have to handle it as soon as possible. It's a normal practice, I think. So uh, even though there's no cordon off, no communication with the villagers related to the high risk of the tree and eventually uh, crossing this uh, of incidents, I really think that is uh, not that acceptable. And but uh, of course, one point I really uh, agree that um, as um, 
for a trained professional when we are uh, conducting this kind of tree work, actually we'll have a very uh, comprehensive inspection, pre-work inspection system. So that we will check uh, the potential risk, uh, including if there's any potential fallen branches, uh, when we are working under the tree, we will have this kind of checking and we will remove all those uh, risks before wow. we, we work. So uh, better that, uh, leave the work to the professional and in case the villagers with questions about the tree, uh, don't carry out the work, but uh, yes, yes like we uh, cordon off the tree. First. Don't go and do it yourself. It could be dangerous. Yes. How many old and valuable trees are there in Hong Kong? There are 450-something uh, uh, available trees in Hong Kong, and over uh, 50% are ficus, mycocarpus, the banyan trees. And, how, and where are they, broadly speaking? New territories uh, or urban area or both? Uh, both, actually. Do we have any kind of breakdown? Because I, I see some near where I live. Um, very uh, old. Actually, there are quite a large number in, say, uh, uh, central and western district. Uh, Yao Chun Wan within the uh, uh, Kowloon Park, and the others are quite scattered, uh, uh, distributed, actually. Okay, we have a, a question from a listener. question from a listener on something we haven't discussed this morning. I'm not sure it's ever come up before. Professor Jim, I, I wonder if you, you can answer this. Um, uh, the, char, char, uh, the, the email is entitled, Dogs Urinating on Trees. And Charlie asks, I note that in my neighbourhood, there are many pet dogs. They're taken out for exercise and relief every day, and they inevitably pee on trees in the area. The question is, how much pee can a tree take? Surely these high levels of uric acid from this constant bombardment should have some negative effect over time. Is this a reasonable view and has this been taken into consideration? Uh, well, let, let's ask an expert. Professor Jim, it, it, is, is there a point to what the, the listener says or is this no, nothing to do with tree safety at all? Well, urine is a nutrient, but then it is highly concentrated, it is not desirable. So better not to irrigate the tree with urine directly. If you want to irrigate, you should let the urine uh, decompose for a while uh, and dilute and dilute it before you use it. But is there any realistic prospect that this is actually contributing to uh, tree safety issues? Uh, it's, it may uh, it may hurt the tree, but it's not a big issue. Not. The major issue about tree safety is that we mistreat the soil, we mistreat the roots, and therefore the trees cannot stand. Now, more generally, I'm sure um, after these tree accidents, and maybe listeners listening this morning, you, we, we talk about all these problems with trees, and people feel a bit worried to go out on the street and pass under a tree and worry that it might fall on them, and, and that would be it. I mean, um, what, what, what do you do, Professor Jim? Do, do you cross the road sometimes to avoid going under tree? Do, should people worry about this, or should we say that, well... It's only a tiny chance of being hurt by a tree compared with a, a traffic accident. What, what's your approach? Well, the probability of being hurt by a tree is very, very low, much lower than other kinds of accidents. Uh, so people should not worry too much. But then uh, uh, whenever we have a tree incident hurting people and so on, uh, uh, we often hear a lot about uh, uh, increasing the intensity and the frequency of um, inspection, but but I don't think that is uh, that is a proper reaction. 
the proper way to do is not just doing more and more inspection. Is proper way to do is to do something to help the trees to to rehabilitate the tree uh, site and and the tree growth conditions, especially for the old and valuable right. trees, so that they can continue to thrive and continue to serve the people. So I, I hope that the resources uh, pumped into tree inspections can be directed to proper tree care right. and as especially to the rehabilitation of growth conditions for the old and valuable trees. Right. Do you think the people doing the inspections are uh, have the right qualifications? Uh, I think it varies. Some of them may not know too much about trees, but some of them are pretty knowledgeable and experienced. So uh, I really hope that the quality of tree inspection can be substantially improved right. and, as, and especially should be consistent and standardized. And taking into account rehabilitation of the tree, maybe it's not dangerous now, but would be could become dangerous in future. But if it's rehabilitated now and strengthened now, it it safety as well. Oh yes, if a tree site is rehabilitated, the tree will grow much better and stronger, and it will become safer. And do we have enough people in your field in Hong Kong, or is there a need for sort of more training and more courses on tree safety? I think the uh, the issue is not just about the adequacy of personnel, it's, it's about qual uh, the quality of the tree management and policies. And if we have better directions and better treatment of trees, then uh, I, I don't think the tree personnel is a serious matter. Gradually, we are building up our, our tree care strength, and, and, and eventually we will reach the so-called well-standard. Uh, well Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, that was that was Professor Jim Chi Young, who's the research chair, uh, professor of geography and environmental science at the Education University of Hong Kong. Um, and in this first se segment of the show, you also heard Ken So, the uh, chief executive of uh, Conservancy Association, uh, talking about that recent uh, spate of tree accidents in Hong Kong. After the news, we're going to be moving on to talk about the return of the Hong Kong Rugby Sevens. The Hong Kong Rugby Sevens resuming today after a three-year break, but of course. In many respects, a somewhat different Rugby Sevens uh, from previous Rugby Sevens, not least because everybody's going to have to wear masks. If you have any thoughts about either of these topics, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. The weather forecast is going to be cloudy with a few showers. The maximum temperature is going to be around 24 degrees, and the outlook is for continuing showers over the coming days. Currently 22 degrees, relative humidity 90%. We'll be back in three minutes the Dnipro River. Banks have reportedly been emptied and museums looted. You're listening to the news on RTHK, the chief Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is once again Mike Rouse. Um, continuing on in the second half of uh, the show, we're going to be looking at the return of the Rugby Sevens. The Rugby Sevens resuming today after a uh, three-year break. Um, of course, uh, COVID has made it impossible to hold the Rugby Sevens uh, for the last three years. Uh, but uh, even though uh, it is possible to hold them this year, of course, they are subject to very different rules from before. Initially, um, 
eating was going to be banned in the stadium. The government did finally uh, relent on that, but there's still very strict rules about RAT tests and mask wearing and so on. Uh, joining us to discuss this is um, essentially the organiser of the Rugby Sevens, uh, Robbie McRoggett. Robbie, the C- <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me, the CEO of Hong Kong Rugby Union, and also Professor Patrick Lau. Professor Patrick Lau is a professor at the Department of Sport, Physical Education and Health at Hong Kong Baptist University. Uh, Robbie, good morning. Good morning. And first of all, congratulations <laughs> on getting the Rugby Sevens going. I know it's been a long, hard road for you. Um, you got the food back in, uh, and uh, but, you know, there are some problems here, aren't there? No, n- not, not really, Mike. No, we're, we're in a good place. We're, we're uh, looking forward to the weekend, and uh, no, I, I, I don't, don't see any problems, mate. You know, well, that's good. That's refreshing. Your optimism is what's carried us this far. Yeah, let's say, if, if, uh, I mean, of course, uh, you're organising and quite understanding for three, three years without the Rugby Sevens and you, you want to go in an optimist frame of mind. I have to say, our listeners are not in the same frame of mind. Let me, let me read you, uh, Robbie McRobbie, a couple of comments that have already come in. I wouldn't be surprised if they're more in a similar vein. Um, Richard says on Facebook, What can we expect from the Rugby Sevens? A heavy police presence and a windfall for the force from the fines issued for incorrect marks usage and an email john says wearing a mask at the sevens is not sense why the participants of the financial forum were not wearing masks indoor during the conference after three years of mask wearing at high numbers of vaccinated people we still have five thousand cases per, per day obviously mask is useful i think he's, he's talking sarcastically there so i'm afraid yeah, but, but, you but, can but, see but, some, on, some skepticism on, there hang on, hang on, hang on. Let, let's, let's just put this in context i woke up this morning and i got the bus to work and I wore a mask. I walked up the street to McDonald's and I wore a mask. I went into McDonald's, I ordered a McDonald's wearing a mask. I took it to a table, I took my mask off to eat the meal. I put my mask back on, I walked up to work wearing a mask. That's life in Hong Kong. The people who, who are expressing surprise and outrage, they have to wear a mask. I, I don't know where they've been living for the last three years because this is the reality of the situation. If people don't want to wear a mask, then they can stay at home. The rest of us, we have to get on with life. Wearing a mask is, is it an inconvenience to some degree, but we just get used to it. It's just what you do. Robbie, that's a good view. It's not everyone's view, as you know. It, it's uh, But the idea of sitting in the fresh air, in the open fresh air, for two and a half days wearing a mask, that is going to turn some people off, isn't it? Nobody's forcing anybody to come, Mike. Exactly. It's a, it's a free country. If they don't want to do that, they don't have to come. 26,000 people and 6,000 kids have decided that they do want to come. I wanted, I, I wanted to ask really you about that. To, support, to, get, Mike, but to get some if, numbers, if people yes. people don't want to wear, come and sit in the stadium and wear a mask, there's, there's lots of other things they can do over the next three days. And we can watch on TV at home. And you can. You can watch it free on charge, uh, channel 76 and 77. So, absolutely. Yeah, I... Nobody has, has, has had their arm forced up the back. To go no, and I, un- I understand that. Can we get some numbers out there? The capacity is 40,000, but it's been reduced to a lower number as part of the COVID thing? Yeah, so it's 85%, um, which would be 34,000, and we've sold 26,000. Uh, and as I say, we also, every year we, we have a free school student visit program on the Friday, and this year we've got just over 6,000 kids signed up for that. Yes, I, I think that's very good because that's the future generation of Hong Kong's rugby team, isn't it? It is very much, yeah, yeah. No, we, we, uh, we're absolutely delighted with, with uh, the numbers for that. And we also, 
Um, with the, the help of our friends from the Jockey Club, we have another thousand kids from NGOs and charities that we work with with our own community foundation who will be attending over Saturday and Sunday free of charge. So that's kids from Deaf Rugby Programme. Uh, we've got some some uh, some blind youngsters coming to it to enjoy it. Uh, special education needs. So yeah, this is this for me is it's a positive watershed. It's part of the the ongoing pathway back to normality and. You know, there's going to be, as I say, 26,000 people who hopefully get the opportunity to let their hair down, have a good time, enjoy some fantastic rugby, right. enjoy some great live music. Um, you know, local local Hong Kong bands who've also had a, a rough three years. And right, let's remember the other important thing about this is getting the events industry back back running. The people who organise the buses and do the stadium build and do the sound and do the fireworks and that. They, they've had a dreadful three years, as we have had. You know, no money coming in uh, on, on their backsides. And so for them as well, this is, this is a massively important weekend. Right. Get things going again, like with the snooker uh, last month and the events that are coming up. You know, we've got to get the events industry back moving. Right. The, the, the next Rugby Sevens here, is, I think, scheduled for March? 31st of March, 1st and 2nd of April. Right. And will we then get back the mini rugby, the youth rugby, the women's rugby and more we, men's teams? We will, but, but at the same time, um, this morning, as I speak, uh, schools rugby that is being played at Sokumpo and SCAA, just across the road from, from the stadium. Uh, tomorrow morning and Sunday morning, both 8am to 11am, all the mini rugby will be across at Sokumpo and SCAA. So it's not actually in the stadium, but it's, it's across the road. Um, but yeah, April, the idea is that that'll come back into the stadium. We don't have the women's uh, teams this tournament because we clash with the women's 15s World Cup in New Zealand, but they will be here uh, in April. So we'll have the 16 men's and 12 women's core teams from the HSBC World Series. Okay, maybe we should give Professor Patrick Lau a chance now. Um, Professor Lau, what's your take on the resumption of the sevens? This is good because after the pandemic outbreak, this uh, is the first one come back for mega sports events. This is a very good news for everybody, though. Uh, you're not you're, you're not involved in the organisation. If you look at it from the outside, um, how do you think uh, the, seven, the sevens will function under the, under these conditions? Do you think that it's going to lead to practical problems, or that um, it, it should all be perfectly manageable to go smoothly, Professor Lau? I think this is a must. As probably this that. Um, Right now, we need to face the reality that we need to uh, maintain the social distance, the, uh, the, uh, wearing the mask. Um, it seems we have no choice at the moment. But I think the most important thing is the, the return of the Rugby 7 as a demonstration effect to other Megasport events. But that's the first one. So I think this is so important to get it started this time. What other mega sports events do you hope would follow the rugby set? I mean, there have been quite a few that have already been cancelled somewhere into the future. What other mega sports events do you hope would follow the rugby sevens in resuming in Hong Kong? Well, Hong Kong has the traditions. Uh, I mean, for the Dragon Boat uh, races and uh, Hong Kong Cycle Form, the Standard Charter Marathon and the Volleyball Championships. Those are the um, very good... Um, Megasport events we have already held in past uh, decades. But what I'm thinking is because we are trying to um, further develop the sport industry after the establishment of the new bureau, um, so I believe we need to have a bigger and broader vision 
what what sort of events should we be trying to attract that we haven't really had in the past? I think, uh, for example, the Formula One. We have been talking about this a long, a long time, and Singapore has a very good plan, and they are very uh, uh, have a very ambitious to host this light race Formula One. The reason I raise this example is actually before Singapore uh, intend to bid for this light racing of Formula One, no country in the whole world dare to do so because the technical issue, the problem of lighting and light is so challenging. If you don't have the, the technology and the government support, there's just no way they can host it. So I believe behind the scene, behind the beating of the special event, the whole government have to have to support the event 100%. Um, I'm talking not one or two events. I'm talking the uh, sport product, which is the uh, sport event championships itself, and the product extension. So what what are the basic tactics to support us to be more and more international mega sport right. events, which is uh, they need to have a more detailed thought. Professor Lau, I, I, let me just say I agree, agree entirely with what you've just said. I remember many years ago when I was in the government, I was talking mm -hmm. to people about Formula One uh, on the road in Hong Kong, and we tentatively identified an area where it might be practicable and so on. But it, I wasn't in a position within the government to give it that support. Um, and looking around for someone else uh, was a, a lonely, a lonely task. So the fact that we now have someone senior uh, promoting sport, this is a very, very good uh, step in the right direction. Um, yeah. The the uh, the email obviously we've got a lot of um, listeners who are going to be going to the sevens. The emails flooding in from listeners. Um, if you've got some comments about these uh, the, the sevens uh, or sports events in Hong Kong, um, generally do email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Uh, let's go through a selection of comments. Um, many of them about uh, Robbie McRobbie, the CEO of Hong Kong Rugby Union. Then we'll go back to uh, Robbie McRobbie to respond to them. Uh, several fans. Uh, Colin says, "Well done to Robbie and his team. We need more people like Robbie in Hong Kong." Uh, it's a similar vein. Neil says, well done, Robbie. At last, a person willing to say what's what. Common sense and straightforward, no nonsense. Enjoy the rugby. It's great to see the sevens back. In a more critical line, a follow-up message from John says, it's not that we need to wear masks in Hong Kong. We know that. It's, it does not make sense. Singapore did F1 and no one was wearing masks. What is the image that this government will give around the world? Hong Kong is back? Yeah, right. Uh, and then a question from Mark, and perhaps, um, uh, Robbie, you could respond to this. Um, says, uh, for those on Amber Code or otherwise unable to attend the Sevens, how can they watch the rugby? Is it being broadcast? I think you already um, you addressed that, but maybe you want to mention that again, Robbie. But Robbie. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yes, it, indeed it is. Um, so you can watch it on channel, uh, it's on iCable, which on the free-to-air, um, you know, on your normal TV set for... for uh, for those like like me who, who still actually watch traditional TV, uh, is channel seventy six and seventy seven. I think seventy six is the English and seventy seven is the uh, is the Canto Pop. So uh, you can watch it free of charge, or you can watch it if you if you've got uh, iCable, cable, uh, then it's it's also on there. So yes, yes, indeed, you can watch it um, in Hong Kong free of charge, uh, and around the world. If you go on the World Rugby uh, Seven Series website then there is a button to click and it will tell you around the world where you can uh, where you can watch how you can watch right robbie uh you as you know probably uh, you do know i had i wrote a column about the sevens uh, a couple of months ago um 
and you and I have corresponded about it separately off air. Uh, how are we looking really at the uh, law and order situation as stewards uh, go round to enforce the mask mandate? Uh, are they going to be with the police? Will the police be there as well? The police are always there, Mike. The, the, I know, the level I remember. of um, deployment of security and the police for this year is exactly the same as it was in 2019. Um, the, we, we've worked closely. As you know, Mike, I'm an ex-cop myself. Um, yes. You know, we've worked closely with the police. We've worked closely with, with the stadium security. We have our own um, security uh, company. Um, look, everybody wants this to be a successful event. Everybody wants to adopt a, a, a reasonable approach to it. At the same time, there's got to be an expectation that people attending also have, have a sense of personal responsibility. You, you know what I mean? We've, we've all got to do the right thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that people will, uh, will adopt a sensible approach themselves in terms of their personal behaviour and at the same time, um, the union staff, the stewards, the stadium security and the police will also uh, adopt a, a good-natured approach as well. My and we'll all have a uh, very nice weekend. My, my fear, and I, I, I hinted at this in my column in the SCMP, is we've had trouble in the past getting people to keep their clothes on, um, especially in the South Stand. The idea that they're going to be wearing masks as well on a white... I just worry that there are going to be confrontations they're going to, some of them potentially could be rather ugly. Uh, Mike, wherever you, you have 26,000 people together um, having, having, a, having a drink, enjoying uh, an event spectacle, uh, as, as you well know from somebody who has organised me mega events in the past, you always have incidents. There isn't a seventh that goes past without people getting evicted for one thing or another. Of course, we're not going to get to the end of the weekend with, with no incidents having, having happened. Do I think that it's going to be any, anything different to, to, to normal? Um, I, I don't think it is. I, I think, as I say, people want to come and enjoy themselves. They don't want to get into confrontations. Uh, I think if everybody, as I say, adopts uh, a, a good-natured and pragmatic approach to it, I see no reason why we can't get through this weekend and all have a very, very enjoyable sevens. Perhaps you can remind our listeners what exactly the rules are in terms of... Yeah, of course. Uh, yes, yeah. Please. First and foremost, um, when you go into the stadium, you will be asked to show your vaccination pass. Uh, you'll also use, you'll click, click in using your Leave Home Safe and you'll also have to show a rat test, same as you do if you go into a bar or any kind of catering function. So uh, a photograph of a rat test taken uh, on the day of entry into the stadium with your name, uh, date and time. Once inside the stadium, um, you basically are required to keep your mask on apart from when you are eating or drinking. So you sit in your seat, you eat and you drink, you don't have to have your mask on. Uh, if you're not eating or drinking, then you put your mask back on. How about the groups in the stand? Is there twelve. Up to twelve? Okay, that's, that's something. Uh, how about the point raised by one of the listeners who, who wrote in? The, the images of this, uh, let's say everything is calm or reasonably calm within, uh, within limits. Um, nonetheless, the pictures that will go around the world will be 
Hong Kong spectators wearing masks. Whereas <laughs> yeah, everywhere right. else... Okay, okay. The, at the same time, if we don't get the Sevens back on, if we don't get the event industry back running, there won't be any pictures of Hong Kong going around the world because the Hong Kong Rugby Union will be bankrupt, as will the Tennis Association, the Golf Association, the, the Athletics Association, and everybody else. If we just sit on our backsides and wait for the conditions to get back to 100% normality, none of us will be here, or we certainly won't be working. We'll be sleeping under a bridge somewhere. We've, we've, got, we've got to get a grasp of reality here. We have to get things going again. Right. Okay, a lot of comments coming in from listeners, and it's fair to say there's a mixture of comments, but at the same time, the, the dominant theme actually is um, quite strong um, support uh, for Robbie McRugby. Uh, let, let me bring in a couple more comments, and then perhaps we'll go to back to um, uh, Professor Patrick Lau for some thoughts. Um, uh, Leslie in the email says, Robbie rocks, as he says. Let's all exercise some common sense within the parameters we've been given. This is something for all of us to look forward to. Uh, and on um, our Facebook page, our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Kinsey says, I love hearing your positive outlook and practical approach this morning, Robbie. And I'm not even a sports fan. We've got this. Okay, so you've got quite a few supporters among our listeners, Robbie. Robbie. Um, uh, Professor Lau, you were talking earlier about uh, the return or, or attracting other sports events to Hong Kong. I think you mentioned um, uh, Formula One. Did there, any, any other particular targets we should be aiming for? I think uh, just like the 2020 Olympic Games in Dong, uh, Tokyo, we should focus on the new rising sports like the skateboarding, um, the rock climbing. Those are more young, uh, younger generation sports, more energetic, more uh, street style. Um, I think it could um, attract more younger generation into the sport participation and the industry. So I, I think we should focus on the new rising sports, especially. I'll come from the Olympic um, Games. The problem is when we talk about attracting new events to Hong Kong, it's different from the Rugby Sevens. Rugby Sevens has always been here, so maybe people can understand having these restrictions. But when you um, talk about attracting a new event to Hong Kong where it could go somewhere else where there aren't similar restrictions and probably we have to assume that, that even the restrictions change in Hong Kong, there'll be more restrictions than in other places. Um, <laughs> isn't that going to be a problem, Professor Patrick Lau? I mean, why yeah, would you definitely. come to Hong Kong when there's more restrictions here? Yeah, this is exactly the original and, and number one question. Why they should come here? As Robbie said, okay, we, should we wait for the 100% gapping to the normal? I don't think the so-called normal in the past yeah. before the pandemic could, could be back. I think so-called the new normal. What does it mean? The new normal is how we can adopt and get used to the, to the new world order. So um, we, we made it to uh, wear the mask one more year at least, and then the, the social distancing, and then many, many more new routines we need to get used to. So I believe the, the only thing is how um, aggressive and assertive of our government work with the NSAs. They want to do the so-called uh, spot industrialization because we are claiming that the new bureau will help, will help to uh, do the... Um, the Megasport events, the athletic development, and then host more and big more Megasport events. They need to have a much bigger vision, including all the stakeholders in, in, right. in Hong Kong, especially the traditional, uh, well-established sports and newer racing sports. So, one, one aspect, yeah. Professor, that we have touched on uh, tangentially um, 
is the question of, of people coming from overseas to watch these sports. Uh, now, in the past, the, the stadium was about 50-50 Hong Kong people and, and tourists. This year, I think we're working on the basis of almost no tourists. I mean, people who were in Hong Kong anyway for other reasons may well stay on for a couple of days and go, go to the Rugby Sevens. But when you're talking about new events, people arriving in Hong Kong have to do 12 tests. Um, one before they get on the plane and 11 more in the first week in Hong Kong. That's not really a very attractive package, is it? Oh, totally not. Yeah, I agree. Um, because when you look at the neighboring countries like Thailand and Singapore, as I recall from the newspaper's report, uh, more than 3 million tourists have sent her their, their, their country um, for tourism development. So um, this is a, it's a global competition. You don't do it, somebody do it. The biggest problem is when people change their routine behavior in sport consumption, you need to give up additional value to attract them back. So what's the selling point? We have to work it out. You're very right, because the competition is still going on, uh, no matter how is the pandemic going. So on one hand, we need to believe the scientific data from the public health and medicine industry. But on the other hand, how proactive we should target for. This is another, a, a very good balance from the decision policy makers. Okay, another email is coming from a listener, rather more negative about what's likely to happen this weekend. Uh, from Rick, it's entitled, All Weekend We Will Be Growled At. And uh, Rick says, can't wait, this is a fiasco in the making. Although, yes, I do support Robbie and the RFU. Um, Robbie, um, Rick, Robbie, would you like to respond to that? Yeah, I, look, I, I hope that Rick comes along uh, and, I, and I hope that he is pleasantly surprised and, and, and proved wrong. Again, I would reiterate to, to Rick that we thought long and hard about making a decision to go ahead with, with the Hong Kong Sevens. For, for me, over the last three years, I've presided over an organization that has lost over 250 million Hong Kong dollars. I am by far the worst CEO that the Hong Kong Rugby Union has ever had. We've laid off half of our staff. We are running in towards a fiscal cliff. We need to get back to putting on events. 95% of our revenue come from this event. If we don't do it, then I will be the last CEO of the Hong Kong Rugby Union, and I don't want my already somewhat blotted legacy to be further tarnished. We need to get the events industry back up and running. Now, you know, if, if Rick gets a bit of growling over the weekend, I hope that doesn't happen, but in the bigger picture, that, that, to me, is not the most important thing. I hope that, that, by and large, at the back end of this weekend, the teams, who I have to say, have been incredibly supportive. You know, they have been tested every day, uh, and they have been great. They are so happy to be back in Hong Kong. They're so supportive. They know how important this tournament is to the World 7 Series. I hope the teams, I hope the spectators, I hope the sponsors, I hope everybody really enjoys the weekend and comes away saying I'm so glad they did that I'm looking forward to April and I'm looking forward to the return of other sports and cultural events to our city okay we've also got a very practical question that's coming from Elliot Elliot says how will a group of 12 in seats work is it 12 people in one row with an empty seat next to them and an empty row above and below or is it 
A block of four by three seats with empty seats around the whole perimeter, or is it something else? Right. Well, it's a very visual uh, answer I can give you. When, when you enter the stadium, the easiest way to look at this, if you look across at the south stand, you will see running vertically down the south stand, there are red seat covers on the 13th and whatever, 25th seat, etc. So it's basically, it's like in a cinema, 12 seats in a row, then uh, a demarcated seat, which is supposed to sit empty. Uh, no, there, there is no, um, there's no gaps above and beyond. So, you know, there'll be somebody sat in front of you and there'll be somebody sat behind you, but each horizontal group of 12, then there will be an empty seat. It's good that there's a physical demarcation. I've, I've seen that recently I've been going to the cinema from time to time. As soon as the lights go down, everyone takes their mask off. That's, I guess the stadium will be different. The lights don't go out. OK, that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Um, th thank you very much to uh, Robbie McRobbie, the CEO of Hong Kong Rugby Union, and uh, Professor Patrick Lau, the Department of uh, Sport, Physical Education and Health at Hong Kong Baptist University. Mike, you won't be there. You've attended every uh, sevens. Yeah, I was at the first one in 1976 and every subsequent one I've never missed. Um, I'm not going to go to this one. Uh, I, I, full marks to Robbie for carrying it over the line. It's a struggle. Of my four children, three have played in the stadium, either at mini rugby or youth rugby or women's rugby. I really love the event. I'm just not prepared to wear a mask for two and a half days sitting in the open air. Is and I won't do an RAT. Either. A lot of supportive comments for Robbie McRobbie and the Hong Kong Rugby Union um, uh, in a, this morning's show. And I'll leave the last word to a listener, Rick. Rick, earlier on, who uh, sent an email saying, all weekend we, we will be growled at. And uh, Robbie McRobbie responded to that and uh, said, we need to go ahead this way. And uh, Rick responding saying, I I'll be there. I agree with Robbie. So a lot of positive sentiment that this really will go ahead and, and work without too many hassles. Uh, that, that's it for this morning. The, uh, the weather forecast is going to be mainly cloudy with a uh, few showers. Uh, the maximum temperature will be around 24 degrees. And actually, it's almost there at the moment. It's 23 degrees. Relative humidity, 88%. We'll be back on Monday. The chief executive has delivered his first policy address. It outlines his vision to lead society to break through bottlenecks, add impetus, relieve hardship, and grasp opportunities. Hong Kong will fully and faithfully implement one country, two systems, govern to public aspirations, attract talents and business, promote finance, innovation, and technology, cultural and creative industries, integrate into the country's development, Increase the speed and quantity of our housing supply. Boost education and expand the talent pool. Enhance primary health care and support for the elderly, the young and the underprivileged. Clean and beautify our city. To chart a brighter tomorrow for Hong Kong. It is a policy address for Hong Kong citizens.